0: and welcome. Well, we've arrived at the point of the year where parents need to make a decision if their preschooler is ready to commence primary school next year or not. Now, this is determined, of course, by the cut-off dates for your state or territory, meaning that your child must turn five by that date to start school. Now, the decision determines if your child will be among the older, more mature students. And depending on their academic level, this can, uh, of course, determine their level of confidence, not only through primary, but their secondary education as well. So this decision is no mean feat. Now, if you're a parent with a child, especially a boy who was born in one of the months before the cutoff date for enrolment at school and could do with some expert advice, today is your day. Uh, Today, we welcome our special guest, Andrew Oberther, a father uh, to two two teenagers, a primary school principal with over 30 years experience teaching and leading primary schools in Brisbane. Uh, And today, Andrew is here to help us make some informed decisions. And something else about our special guest, in 2018, Andrew published his first book, Are You Ready for Primary School This Year? So perfect on this subject. (laughs) Which is, of course, about building a culture of trust, collaboration, and inquiry be- between parents and teachers. And Andrew, of course, is a regular on ABC uh, Brisbane Radio um, guest since twenty nineteen, and is very well respected through various different uh, leading parenting publications and education groups. So, welcome back, Andrew. How are you doing?
1: Great, Rachel. It's terrific to be talking with you again.
0: Likewise. Now, and the starting um, of school and ages differ, across, of course, across the country. Um, so just before we sort of started, I, if it's okay, I just wanted to establish what the dates are because they do differ state by state. And, of course, we know that Kindergarten Prep Foundation or Reception is the start of formal schooling but it's so to establish this for Queensland, WA, and Northern Territory, they have a cutoff of uh, the 30th of June. In New South Wales, the cutoff is July 31st. For mm-hmm. Victoria, ACT, and South Australia, their cutoff is the 30th of April, and Tasmania um, is uh, January 1 cutoff. Now that we've established that, Um, In your 20 plus year uh, career as a primary school principal, no doubt you've been asked this question countless times. Is my child Mm. ready for school or not? Mm. So uh, before we sort of get stuck into all the questions I've got from you, I just wanted to establish we published your article titled uh, Mm -hmm. Age and Gender and School Readiness. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, could you please tell us what it's about? And of course, what inspired you to write it?
1: Sure. Sure. Rachel, firstly, you're very true in saying over the last twenty years of being a principal, I've been asked that question: "Is my child ready for school? And how do I know if my child's ready for school?" On countless occasions. So over the last few years, I have done some publishing of some key tips for parents to give them some confidence in the decision-making process necessary for them to make an informed judgment as to whether or not their child is ready for school. Mm-hmm. So the article I wrote for Kidipedia just discusses whether or not we just have to use the age and the cutoff date and gender as the only variables when considering if a child is ready for school. And I'm going to suggest that there are far more factors to consider from parents and from early childhood educators to have a conversation around whether children are ready for school. Age and gender are certainly part of it, but I think there's more to it than that. So I think we need to discuss those other critical factors.
0: Okay, so there's lots to cover. So in your article, you um, mentioned there's five assumptions on this topic. Could we quickly just sort of touch on some of those now?
1: Yeah, look, I think the assumptions include just because my son is born one or two months before the cutoff date, that they should have a second year of kinder or a second year of preschool. And the bottom line is that may not always be the case. So there's also the assumption that girls mature faster than boys and there's a lot of research to indicate that young girls might be a step ahead or two of some of their male counterparts but let me assure you rachel i've met some very mature four-year-old boys and some very immature five-year-old girls all due to start school at the same time so my message is let's consider the individuals while observing and taking note of the research and the generalizations but let's consider the individuals before we start making gross generalisations about your son is young, therefore he should have a second year at preschool. We also need to ensure the right reasons why we make these decisions. We want children to feel comfortable at school and to achieve success and to be set up for school because the decisions mum and dad make now for four and five-year-olds, as you mentioned, will impact them for their primary schooling and ultimately for their high school. So these are big decisions to make, but let's do them together.
0: Yes. So... On that, what are the qualities that would indicate a child is ready to cope with the rigours of primary school then?
1: Yeah, great question, Rachel. There are four areas that I talk to mums and dads about. And can I share with you, I'm in the middle of doing prep enrolments today, so I'm in the middle of meeting lots of four-year-olds and their parents at the moment, and I share with them this. There are four areas that I look at. Firstly, their independence, how independent a child is at an age-appropriate level. That's one area. I can elaborate for you if you like. The second one is social skills. Can children engage in a social world with their peers and with adults? That's the second area. The third area are their fine and gross motor skills. So are they strong physically within themselves and have they got good fine motor skills? Because they're critical to be able to attend to learning. And the fourth area is about their speech and language development. Can a child be understood? Can they get their message across? Can they communicate with adults and peers alike? So speech and language, it's also the foundation for literacy development, which is critical. So those four areas, independence, social skills, fine and gross motor skills, and speech and language development.
0: So just to establish, um, are age mm. and ge- gender enough mm. to determine if a child is ready to start school then?
1: No. I think parents need to explore those other domains that I've just mentioned so that they can make an informed decision. I met a family today, if I can give you a quick story, Rachel, and this little boy was articulate. He was, um, his concepts were quite advanced. His speech language was terrific. But his mum and dad said, we're not sure if he's ready for school. Now, he was a boy and he was born in April, keeping in mind our cutoff date is at the end of June. So he would be in the young sector. But I said to his parents, what are you worried about? They said, we're not sure if he's going to be emotionally able to cope with the challenges of school. And I said to them, if you didn't tell me his date of birth, I would have no concerns about him being ready for school because his speech and language, his concepts, his engagement, all indicated that he had the foundation criteria and skills necessary to cope with school. Mm -hmm. So my advice to that family was accept the place and have a conversation later in the year to confirm if he's going to cope in January next year. So while parents have to make a decision in the next month or so, they can then revisit that, I hope, with their principals towards the end of the year if a child is showing signs that they're really not ready to cope.
0: Okay. So can it be detrimental to a child if they start school before they're ready? And if so, then how?
1: Yeah, Rachel, certainly if a child is going to be not ready to start school, there may be indicators such as their um, emotional resilience may not be up to par, they may be fatiguing very quickly, although that's quite normal at the start of school for next year, and they may not be enjoying being able to attend to learning. And that's going to potentially make learning difficult for them and make the challenge of teaching them difficult for their teachers. Um, Is it detrimental Potentially, um, hence, as you said, it's a really big decision that parents have to face mm. in whether or not their child is ready for school.
0: Um, I'm not sure if you guys sort of know um, outside of Victoria, but in a nation-leading initiative, um, the Victorian government down here um, have invested almost, mm. I think, $5 billion uh, dollars over the next ten years, so that children across the state have an extra year of, you know, learning, playing, and making friends. So our kinder starts at three, uh, and currently at the moment, for about 21 um, local government areas, um, and I think it's about up to about 15 hours, depending where you live. So there's a sliding scale that will increase um, to right. up to about 2029. 20, so with that, you know, in your opinion, I mean, do you think the introduction of something like this with three-year-old kinder? in turn, will help with increasing children's age-appropriate level of skill and communication, their socialisation and independence? Or is that just inbuilt in the child and their personality in which turn can't be developed?
1: Rachel, I think it's a bit of both. It goes back to the old age debate about nurture versus nature. So is it automatic for some kids? Um, Is it just their disposition? Is it their genetics? Is it just how the child is born that they're going to be more confident and more resilient and more ready to start school? Or do we as the caring adults need to put in place systems and processes and protocols and experiences which gives them those skills and helps develop those skills? So it's that old age debate whether or not it's nature versus nurture. I would think that if we put in structures which can give children opportunities, that's only going to hold them in good stead. So long as mums and dads and early childhood educators don't feel under pressure to keep up with the Joneses and don't feel we're going to raise the benchmark too high and don't feel I've got to put their child under pressure to reach certain milestones by certain ages, which may be beyond their age-appropriate development. Let's let children be children. Let's give them opportunities to be independent, socially wide. Let's develop their fine and gross motor skills. Let's make sure they've got exposure to language and books and the rich world of literature so that they can have the foundations for schooling without stressing them out. We don't want stressed four- and five-year-olds starting school.
0: Mm-hmm. I meant to ask you this question earlier, and it's slightly off topic, but I'll, I have to ask it. In your in your opinion, why can't, I guess, Australian governance structures agree when our children should be starting school? Why do we, on a national <laughs> scale, have so many different dates? I just have to ask the question.
1: Rachel, and I wish there was an easy answer for that. <laughs> education is one of those portfolios that has Commonwealth funding as well as state funding, and we have both levels of government wanting to influence um, the direction that education goes in. Well, I honestly don't know why as a country of 22, 23 million people.
0: <laughs> That's what well, I mean. We
1: can't agree because we have families who are so transient these days and they travel interstate except for COVID in 2020 and a little bit of 2021, families are very mobile. It's not mm-hmm. uncommon for families to move state with mum or dad's job or change states for a lifestyle choice. And they come to school and go, we haven't started school yet, or we've already done six months of school yet, but I've been at school for these so many months. When you went through those starting ages before, I'm just sitting here going, why? Can't we have a consistent starting age for school? Surely that makes sense. <laughs> I don't have an easy answer, right? Sorry.
0: I had to ask the question. We're back on topic. Uh, so what can parents do then to assist in preparing their children to be most ready for school?
1: Yeah, look, it's critical that parents provide experiences and opportunities to develop those four skills. So if I can just run through some things, if that's okay, Rach. Please do. Still- Under independence, I would hope that children cover off these skills. Now, I'm going to use my cheat notes here because this is the brochure I give out to parents at my school to cover these topics. Let me read I love some a prop. Here we go. Yeah, that's what I need. <laughs> Let me go through these with the families. Can the children dress themselves independently? Can they toilet themselves independently? Do they recognise their own belongings? Can they carry their own school bag? That's one of my pet hates. Can they unpack and pack their own lunchbox? Can they unpack their own bag? Can they use tissues independently in wiping their nose? And can they wash their hands with soap when they go to the bathroom? So there are a set of independent skills that mums and dads can practice at home, which is just good life skill practices, so that when they go to school and the teacher gives them a tissue or when they go to the bathroom, they can do those skills independently. Can mm-hmm. I move on to social skills? Me too. Let me run through some of these. Can children share? Can they take turns? Can they listen? Can they play games and accept winning and losing? Do they have boundaries around screen time so that when the teacher says running it will be on the computer for five minutes, not five hours, can the child accept that? Can they comply with behavioural expectations? So there's are some of the behaviours in a social environment that children have to cope with. Now, if I can move on to... Fine and gross motor skills. Now, keep this in mind. Gross motor skills are the big body movements that children have to have before they can move on to the fine motor skills. So I talk about families. Can your child run, jump, hop, skip, catch? Can they climb? Can they sit? And have they got the core strength to sit on the floor or at a desk in a chair for a few minutes without slouching? So do they have the physical strength in their core skills? Can they cross their midline? So can they actually write over here or over here and cross over their body, which some children can't do initially. So they're the, the gross motor skills, which then lead on to the fine motor skills I talk about. Can they hold a pencil? Can they open lids? Can they manipulate blocks? Can they use scissors? Can they undo glue sticks? So these are all the fine motor skills, which are going to set them up for being in school and to be able to ready to learn. Mm -hmm. Can I move on to communication and speech and language? Please do. So speech and language is critical. Now, keep in mind, Rachel, children don't have to have their letters and sounds until they're about seven. So we're not expecting children to speak with pure, perfect speech until they're about seven. Having said that, I always like to remind parents that at the age of three, four, five, that's when we need to be correcting a child's speech. By the time a child gets to 15 and they're still mispronouncing words, in some ways we've missed the boat. So it's important that parents correct their children's speech at a young age Mm -hmm. so that they can be articulate and clear in their ability to communicate. So I talk to parents about can they greet people with a normal greeting? Can they speak in sentences? Do they maintain eye contact? Can they get their needs known? So when they go to school and they say, May I please go to the bathroom? They can speak in a sentence with eye contact and get their message across. So there's some of the tips that I give parents. It's very important that parents also correct their child's speech. Some common sounds that children will be developing last, um, TH, children often say that this is a thumb, not a thumb. And I say to parents, get get the child to stick their tongue out and put their tongue on the top of their bottom teeth and go, thumb and Thursday, and thick, and three. Children often call this color, lalo, not yellow. So I say to them, break up the sound and go, can they say yes? And they say yet. And they say yet. Can they say say, yell? And they say, just so, yell, oh. So there's a few little tips for parents that I encourage them to practice with their children. But please, don't stress about it. Remember, speech and language, sounds and letters, by the time they're seven but please correct it early so we can have children coming to school with reasonably clear speech
0: hypothetically if a child doesn't have all of those things but they are you know um broadly ready for school we need anything else and what what should parents do then
1: rachel at this time of the year parents have got about i started parents you've got six or seven months to try and work on those skills if At the point of enrolment, or if their kindy teacher or preschool teacher is saying, look, I'm a bit worried about your child's speech development or their social or independent skills, then it may be worth a further investigation with people like paediatricians or OTs or physios or things like that. But I'm very cautious about saying to parents, don't jump to expert intervention just yet because these are young children and there's going to be a lot of development between now and the end of January next year. Mm -hmm. Having said that, if an expert, in adverted comments gives a parent an opinion, then I encourage the parents to at least listen and be open to an opinion. Because it's interesting, Rachel, parents often don't hear their child's speech patterns because they hear them every day. But when I listen to a child speak for the very first time and I say to a parent, can you hear what I'm hearing? And they look at me stunned and I'm saying, you know your child has a list. Or you know, your child is speaking with F instead of TH. Or your child is saying, that's lello, not yellow. And they look at me stunned because they've heard their child speak and they understand what they're saying in context. But the first time I hear a child speak, I can hear those speech patterns. It's sometimes an eye-opener for the parents and they go, oh, we better do something about that. Mm -hmm. So I'm not necessarily suggesting intervention for all children. I'm simply saying, parents, be aware of it. Talk to the experts, and if intervention is recommended, then please consider it.
0: Then, who is best placed to give? To, um, sorry, starting in, but who is best placed to give parents advice about their children's readiness for school, especially for this time of year? Is it an OT? Is it a principal or a school teacher like yourself?
1: Rachel, my first recommendation is talk to the kindy or the preschool teachers because they see the children in. A setting, which is the precursor to formal schooling, so be it a daycare setting, a kindy setting, a preschool setting, mm-hmm. those early childhood educators work with children all day, every day, so that would be my first port of call. My second port of call would potentially be the principal of the school they're going to and some of the early childhood educators in those schools. If there are significant deficits that the kindy or the preschool teacher pointed out, then it may be worth visiting paediatricians or OTs. But initially, talk to the kindy teacher and the preschool teachers because they work with children all day, every day, and they know what to expect. I, as a principal, have been doing this for 20 years. So I say to families, I'm not a speechy, I'm not an OT, but after 20 years' experience, I know what I expect to hear from a four-year-old or a five-year-old who's ready to start school.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, I just wanted to just expand and revisit the the three factors you mentioned at the start of the interview. So, what are those three factors that may influence child's communication, socialization, and independence?
1: Look, Rachel, I think it's important that the parents give the children experiences, which gives them exposure to being in a social environment, getting their independent skills up, and then engaging with books. And words and speech, so that they can be well prepared to communicate at school. So I think they're the critical key factors.
0: Mm-hmm. And I understand that there are many conditions that provide children with the experiences to have them prepared for school. Could you just maybe expand on what they are?
1: Look at home, children can be exposed to so many rich learning experiences, which they don't have to. What, they don't have to understand their learning experiences. But let me give you some examples. Um, Mum and dad should have paper and pencil available for children to pick up a pencil and draw, scribble, um, try and write their names as much as they wanted. They should have books littered throughout their house so that the children can have exposure to literature. They should ensure their children have social experiences. So if they're not in kindies or daycares or preschool, mums and dads, it's important that your children have some socialisation with children of their own age group before they start school. If they were to walk into a classroom of 25 children for the very first time and be expected to share or wait or take their turns, that's going to be quite daunting for children who haven't had that exposure before. Mm -hmm. It's also important that mums and dads give children the expectation and the opportunity to be independent. So when mum and dad says, look, make sure you go and wash your hands after you've been to the bathroom, teach them, supervise them but make sure they can do it before they come to school. When they have to blow their nose when they've got a cold, practice it so when they come to school they can be independent. It's all those what I call life skills that help children be ready to learn because, Rachel, it's important that the teachers can teach the curriculum and while they will teach some of these life skills as part of the curriculum, it's better if the children come well prepared for school.
0: And I just wanted to touch on the subject of um, children who have siblings and being an only child. How would either of those two circumstances affect this situation then?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Only only children, so one child in a family, they may not have the same social engagement at home with younger children or older children that children with siblings do have. Now, children with siblings, sometimes it's survival of the fittest. They have to be vocal and resilient because they've got older brothers and sisters who are already doing things. Um, sometimes children who have siblings don't develop apparently as quickly because their older brother and sister are talking for them, but they're quite capable cognitively both speaking-wise and with concepts because they've learned from their older brother and sister. So, again, no generalisations, but it's, it's just other factors which impact on the children's ability to grasp concepts. Um, their older brother and sister may teach them. Little siblings, now love nothing more than copying older brother and sister. One brother and sister at school, then I want to do their homework as well, which is terrific. Uh, so there's interesting dynamics in being an only child or being a child with siblings. Both can have pluses and minuses in getting kids ready for school.
0: Do you believe um, what parents do for for, for work and professionally, and I guess their belief um, about education um, as well has a lot to do um, with, with this This at all overall? Rachel,
1: yeah, look, parents have got their own beliefs, and when I do enrolment in interviews, uh, it's interesting the questions parents ask me because that indicates their belief about education. So let me give you some examples. Parents often say to me, Andrew, is early childhood still play-based and should it be play-based? Now, from my understanding, early childhood educators would say up to potentially uh, the age of seven and eight should be play-based in education early childhood settings. The reality is, at school, we've probably made the learning sadly more formal than what it could be and should be. So it's important that early childhood educators still try and engage with play-based. Um, sometimes parents will say, "Look, I haven't exposed my child to any literature. I'm going to leave that for school." Well, I'm going to say to parents. You're the first educators of your children. So give them exposure to books and words and speaking as early as you can. So that's really important. Some parents say that we're going to hand everything over to the school um, and we won't do much at home. We don't believe in homework or we don't believe in doing certain things. I would be saying education is a partnership between home and school because by the time a child comes to school, you as a parent have already had them for four or five years So we're just building on the foundations that you've already given them. So parent beliefs about education is a critical factor in how a child will be ready for school.
0: Mm -hmm. And then what about the genetic makeup of a child also? What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, Look, Rachel, it's an interesting debate as to mums and dads. Now, keep this in mind. Mums and dads with children, with multiple children in their family, and yet the two children can be completely different personality and skill set and you think but they came from the same genetic pool how can two children be so different mm-hmm. so there's certainly an element of children who may follow their parents footsteps or who may have similar interests or have similar skill sets but again it's the old debate about is it nature or nurture let's give kids opportunities but yes there will be some genetic basis for how a children will perform
0: mm-hmm. and how about the cultural background of a child also do you think that could influence their experiences as well
1: Yeah, Rachel, look, we live in a very multicultural society here in Australia, which is such a rich diversity of people in our schools, which is just fantastic. But each culture will have its own different approach to the value of education. Um, Some cultures are more laissez-faire and let the children explore their own world. Other cultures are quite strict and rigid about the traditional way that education should be taught. And the role of parents in ensuring that the school gets the best out of their children. So there are some cultural factors which influence the way children may be exposed to education, may be exposed to early childhood teachings. Um, so without me labelling some cultures better or worse, they're just different, but they certainly add to the rich diversity of our communities.
0: <clears throat> about transition and orientation programs also um and the influence on a child's readiness for school uh, generally there's been um, very very positive um feedback mm. from them um and mm. their observations so i just wanted to to get your thoughts
1: rachel it's one of my great passions about ensuring that children feel comfortable moving from Hindi into school or preschool into school one of my passions is also making sure that parents are ready for the transition from Hindi into school because it is a different world now Most schools across the country will have orientation programs, which will be an opportunity for the mums and dads to visit the school with their child, and the child will probably have an exposure uh, to a prep or an early environment. And from that point of view, it gives them an opportunity to then have a look at school. While that's happening, it's quite common for the parents to be listening to an early childhood educator or the principal the deputy talk about the nuts and bolts of schools. But those opportunities to visit classes and visit schools before the children start are very, very rich and very worthwhile because it means when the children start school, they go, I've already been here. I've been to my classroom. I've seen who the teachers might be. So there's a degree of comfort to ensure that transition is as smooth as possible. And schools do it really well. We also link up with the kindies and the preschools really well prior. So there's just some little structures that most schools put in place.
0: And would it be fair to say in summary that there are a multitude of factors that really determine if a child is ready for school or not then?
1: Absolutely, Rachel. Absolutely. So look, age and gender are part of it. But I think, as you've just mentioned, it could be cultural, it could be siblings in a family, it could be parental beliefs, it could be their own resilience, socialisation, independence, fine and gross motor skills, speech and language development. There are so many factors that mums and dads and early childhood educators must consider when determining if the child's ready to start school.
0: On that, we've covered a lot today. If you were to summarise your key messages for anyone watching and listening, what would they be?
1: Rachel, I think it's important that parents uh, listen to the early childhood educators, provide their children with experiences to develop their social independence, fine and gross motor skills and speech and language skills, and consider various factors when determining if their child's ready for school. Talk to the early childhood educators, listen, learn together, and start that journey with a sense of optimism and excitement.
0: Wonderful and if parents have got any questions for you and or just want to reach out and or follow you in any of the other things that you do online as well and your courses and all those sort of things where can they find you?
1: They can certainly find me on my website which is www.creativecollaborativesolutions.net
0: Brilliant and we'll have those links in the show notes. Andrew so grateful for your time and understanding how, how much of a busy week it is this week for you also so thank you. Um, pleasure, and, uh, Rachel. And look forward to chatting with you again in the future. Until then, stay right, look safe. Look
1: forward to it, Raj. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kiddypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.